I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Merry Christmas, Danny. Merry Christmas to you, Sam. That's uh, rustling fire, that's tinkling of sleigh bells, that uh, distant chorus of angels. Just say anything right now. I'll put it in later in post. That <laughs> uh, faraway explosion. That mysterious <laughs> whooshing noise. That gunshot. It can only mean one thing. It's Christmas. It's time for the Film Chat Christmas special. Thank you, by the way, for uploading the most recent episode. Uh, I, I listened to part of it. I, I announced at the beginning of the episode that it was the 1st of December and we were talking about, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, how Christmas was some distance away. Uh, but it was That was before the event. That was know. before the terrible events, the new age that we're in. This is one of the more hellish Christmases that I've lived through, not in terms of my personal, you know, life, which is going fine, but just in terms of the state of the world and the country generally. So I think it's a good, you know, it's a time when we, 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 we couldn't need Santa more, could we? No. <laughs> couldn't need the comfort of being wrapped in Absolutely. big balls of tinsel uh, any more than we do now. And so we're going to do what we normally do, which is uh, just produce something which is even less slick than normal, um, but does contain more sound effects. Uh, we will reflect a little bit on the year and review the two big releases for Christmas, Star Wars 9. The Rise of Skywalker and Cats, the crazy musical, <laughs> and Cats. Uh, yeah, and we might we might also do Marriage Story because we both watched it on Netflix. So and it's out, so it's on Netflix. Who even knows? Who knows? Oh, we'll, bloody loosey we'll, goosey, the structure we'll, is. We'll see what happens, and we'll give our top films of the year, and so on and so forth. There we go. Real real pop noise. We're not film champagne chat, socialists. Film, film chat Christmas tradition. Well, we're prosecco socialists actually. Absolutely. Right now, I have drunk champagne before, so I was a champagne socialist, you know, at some point. You can't buy that kind of noise. You've got to capture it right out of the bottle. You probably actually can buy that exact noise, but we didn't. And with that, let's start the show. Let's start the show. <laughs> Here's to you. Here's to, here's to us. You're my, you're my Santa for this Christmas. You're my Santa, baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Christmas, Christmas, Merry Christmas. Season's greetings, goodwill to all men. Tinsel, crackers, pine tree presents. Mistletoe, park the herald angels. Turkey, baubles, mulled wine, Saint Nick. Peace on earth, Brussels sprouts, wise men, Santa Claus, elves, shepherds, jingle bells, Christmas pudding, Yuletide, Rudolph, stockings, chestnuts, snowmen, carols. Festive cheer to everyone, Christmas film chat has begun. So, Danny, you put out the call. On Twitter, on Facebook, on Bebo, asking if uh, people would write in and tell us their favourite films of the year. They responded in droves. Mysterious character Teresa Moran, unknown relative of yours, my, my Amy. Auntie, Auntie Tess. Auntie Tess. Uh, oh, is it? I, yeah, it's oh, my right. aunt. Oh, okay. Let me say that again, because yeah. I, I assumed it was like like a, like Amy's teacher pseudonym or something. <laughs> no, no, no. I just have an aunt called Tess. <laughs> okay. um, direct relative of yours. Teresa Moran offered her likes as follows Rocket Man, the Kira Knightley movie Official Secrets. We didn't see either of these films. No. But, but we, sure. we obviously missed out. Yeah. And her worsties of the year, The Irishman. Um, although your Uncle Dan liked it. Yeah, my Uncle Dan on test. They probably watched The Irishman together and she was like, What a load of this is too long. And he was yeah. like, This is the perfect thing. This length. is great. He was <laughs> laughing and cheering. Uh, Callum Russell writes in to say, Hi, Film Chat. I had a fairly unadventurous movie-watching year, which means I don't have any on the dislike list, so it's all positives for me. Favourites of the year are probably High Life and Amazing Grace. Danny, you saw High Life, did you not, and enjoyed it? I did, yeah. I didn't quite understand it, but I enjoyed it. Um, Amazing Grace is a Aretha Franklin concert documentary, uh, which I have also heard good things about, but have not seen. Another another misstep. Um, and uh, he also Callum says he enjoyed a trio of horrors Midsummer, Ready or Not and Us had a lot of fun watching the ridiculous Hobbs and Shaw and because I'm a very mature adult and definitely not a child I loved Detective Pikachu and yes even Star Wars um, I didn't love Detective Pikachu but I enjoyed it <laughs> didn't love it <laughs> but I guess you, you know if you have a connection with the uh, franchise yeah. then uh, can understand that I, I like did, the I, way the caveat of like yeah I even like Star Wars one of the most popular <laughs> film franchise ever created yeah but this this installment did get a bit of it's a bumpy true, it's landing true. we'll get into it Jake Hoskins regular correspondent says hello film chat I loved Almodovar's Pain and Glory like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a lot but like the soundtrack even more enjoyed Booksmart on a Plane like Shoplifters, but not nearly as much as I loved Our Little Sister for some reason. Quite like Marriage Story, which I watched last night. Brackets. Sorry, Dad. And other than that, I just don't think I watched enough films. I think I've just got to face it. I'm a TV boy at heart. We'll be watching The Irishman over Christmas and might need to do some back-to-back love-hate watching of Joker, Cats, and Yesterday. Film chat has made me very keen to see Bait, Ape Grade, and If Beale Street Could Talk, among others. So we'll seek those out too and let you know in 2020. Will we be treated to your films of the decade as well as your films of 2019? Or is that too daunting? Your best film since Film Chat began? Which is when I think most critics agree was the true birth of filmmaking. I'm glad he has acknowledged what is basically an unspoken truth, which basically film criticism didn't begin uh, until the first episode of Film Chat in 2014. Yeah, we had a big influence on the medium. I don't know what they were doing before, just talking about films, but it's not really criticism. It wasn't really criticism, was it? It was just sort of like... Just sort of just 
just it was related to films and it was yeah. words about them. But it's like the Beatles, just people sort of banging on tambourines and playing brooms, and then like an actual band <laughs> turned up. You know, it is like the Beatles, like how they invented music. Yeah, they invented music, <laughs> as I learned from the film yesterday. Yeah, um, the best films of the decade. I had like a list because there was a film Twitter question, which is getting people to list their favorite film for every year of the decade, and I did that. But I would say if I had to narrow it down to one movie. I would say the film of the decade is Mad Max Fury Road. My reasoning behind it is, well, it's, first of all, it's fucking awesome. Rule number one. Yeah. And secondly, I'm not sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but something I think about is if you take a utilitarian approach, this be an A-level uh, philosophy about to pay off big time here. If you take a utilitarian approach to film criticism, so num- <laughs> like max amount of enjoyment, max amount of people. Yeah. So, you know, a beloved film like The Godfather, if you're like under 12, you're not going to get much out of it. But a film like Shaun the Sheep, the movie, works for every age. Absolutely. Every Anyone who enjoyed The Godfather would also enjoy Shaun the Sheep. Exactly. But there are people who would enjoy Shaun the Sheep who would not enjoy The Godfather. <laughs> Precisely. So, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so right? Shaun the Sheep's better. <laughs> it works for every single person on planet Earth. Yeah. <laughs> and I think... Uh, Mad Max Free Road is kind of it's quite close to a silent movie in its way in that it's so visually told and it's so sort of speaks to the heart of it's it's the most purest kind of cinematic movie of the last 10 years I would say it's, cinematic is one of those terms which is hard to define but if the way the, the most kind of clear definition I have is just like it can't be done in any other medium it only works as a movie you know Mad Max Free Road the book would fucking suck right like and then they drove the cars and someone chased up to the cars <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not compelling. No, it wouldn't be at all. Um, so for that reason, I think that's the movie of the decade. Yeah, I think that's a. I mean, that's a solid choice. I think it's a film which is obviously. I mean, one of the um, things you would think about when producing, a, a, you know, something like that is like whether the film has stuck around culturally. Yeah. When you're trying to give it that um, acclaim of being like the top movie of the decade, so it's quite hard to say that a film that even if the best film of the decade came out in like November 2019, it'd be a bit hard to declare that because you don't have enough distance from it. But, but Mad Max Fury Road continues to be, you know, watched, talked about, incredibly vi- in, um, influential, I would say. It's had a very direct influence on the new Star Wars movie, for example, yeah. in like one scene. And it's definitely set a bar, you know, for that kind of film. And uh, yeah, it was excellent. I think that's a good choice. Um, Tom Dewhurst, his film of the year is Midsummer which I can't really do justice to how he's written it, but it's like elongated and with a lot of exclamation. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like Darth Vader in the Revenge of the Sith, but he's saying Midsummer, And he suggests maybe a 10 minute segment apologizing sincerely for not reviewing the best film of the year. So you don't want actually a review, just an apology for not reviewing it. <laughs> well, we haven't seen it, so we still haven't seen it. So we couldn't review it. But maybe we should make a commitment. We should watch it over the holidays. Film Chat 2020. Film Chat 2020, that's, that's going to be the upgrade. We're going to do a little review of films we haven't seen. You know, we haven't seen The Souvenir. We haven't seen Pain and Glory. We haven't seen Midsummer. We, we were trying to bring down the government. Uh, we failed. We failed. We, we strengthened them, if anything. If anything, because they've got more powerful. <laughs> <laughs> so, listen, Tom, I'm sorry we didn't see it. We didn't see it when it was out. I, I, I forget when. Some, it was the middle of a, some sort of season, if I recall. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to watch it. <laughs> Oh, great midsummer joke! <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, we, we yeah we're gonna watch it. We're gonna watch it. We're gonna, we're gonna get, get back, back to you. you. We're gonna watch it. I know you've been waiting six months, but we're gonna get back to you. I swear. 
Yeah. Uh, Chris Young. Merry Christmas film chat. This year I really love Bait, Little Women, Atlantics. What the? That's the Matty Diop movie, which oh, okay. got a huge reception at Cannes. It's gone straight to Netflix. Got it. Haven't seen it. Yeah, me neither. The Souvenir, which we've also we haven't seen. For Summer, Marriage Story, and Uncut Gems. So I'm not sure when that exactly that comes, comes out. next year. That comes Chris, out next don't year. rub in our faces the fact you've seen, seen a preview films. of Uncut Gems. Outrageous. Um, half of those are Netflix bought films, and it feels like they really upped their game with films this year. Or maybe they just bought more content, and it's a law of averages thing. On the other hand, I really, really didn't like The Two Popes. Also, Joker was bad as was Peter Bradshaw's review of Cats. On that last point, not going to do that justice uh, right now or, you know, allude direct, directly read from it or anything, but if you're you know, up for having your brain melted, you can go and read Peter Bradshaw's review of Cats. He's done it as a sort of parody of the T.S. Eliot Cats poems. It's all in, like, rhyming couplets and so on. It's excruciatingly bad. Just it's a bad thing that happened this year. It's a bad thing. I think it's probably the, the worst thing that's happened. The worst thing that happened the whole year. I can't make you anything else. <laughs> well... Thank you so much to i mean we, we got some we might not have many listeners but the ones we have to be honest quality, with you given and I, I i take like full responsibility for the for the patchiness of um our output this year but i'm really pleased that people are stuck with us and uh, we're still getting still getting engagement it's very it's very nice to see so thanks so much for everyone who who listened and uh, and wrote in and your opinions are more valid than ours yes you should all start your own podcast let a thousand podcasts bloom yeah but keep listening to this one. <laughs> Were you left home alone this winter? Did you get scrooged over in business? Perhaps you thought you were in love. Actually, it was a nightmare before Christmas. Well, just forget about those gremlins, baby. You're trading places with a happier guy. Pop a film chat on and let your blues die hard. And you realize it's a wonderful life. Listen to those normies who don't even have a single podcast of their own, don't even have the you know the sort of funding we have, which we don't have to to sit in your living room and record ourselves and edit every week. Let's listen to my top ten. Um, cue the jazzy music. So this isn't really actually no cut the jazzy music. Okay, so this isn't really in a you know definitive order. I'd say like the top five are sort of in are my top five and the uh, six to ten are sort of quite adjustable where they fall uh play that jazzy music again <laughs> so ten high life nine support the girls which you can now watch on netflix so get to it eight can you ever forgive me seven knives out six the chris Seavey story five bait four in fabric three eighth grade two feel street could talk and one my film of the year is burning Chang Dong's Burning. Want to speak about Burning a little, a little bit? Give us give us a sense of why that's your top movie. Well, we might, you know, five years in, have we run out of things to say, but just sort of, I think it just basically hit a lot of things we often talk about. The main reason being it, it feels so much like a movie about now. It was such a sort of, uh, this sounds itself very vague, but it just felt like a very 2019 movie in that it sort of summed up a kind of like late, late stage capitalism kind of vibe to it where all the characters a bit kind of burnt out and it was on one hand just a, a really compelling thriller it had like the sort of kind of vague edges of a thriller template that kept you really hooked in and it had this like incredibly strange beguiling tone which in lesser hands would become dull and infuriating but was just compelling throughout it's the movie that stuck with me it's, i saw it 
in 2018, in fact. But it's the film I keep on sort of thinking about. When people are like, what's the best one you've seen recently? I'm like, Burning. Yeah, yeah. It's the one that's sort of like yeah, it is, locked it, and loaded. It is brilliant. Uh, I think that it's something, one of the things that it does that um, is the goal of a lot of stories, but that many of them do not do at all, is just um, keeping you uh, totally guessing and absolutely intrigued about where this thing is going. Yeah. And uh, it always feels like a magic trick. I'm just, I'm sh- sure I'm repeating myself now from previous episodes, but it's that magic trick sensation of uh, something reaching the end and feeling like every step was completely logical and it all makes perfect sense. But before each next one happened, you didn't, yeah, you were yeah, not yeah, able yeah. to predict completely. what it was going to be. Uh, and right from the beginning, yeah, beguiling is exactly the word. Very uneasy. It's just got this like slow, like this quality of things being a bit off and, and unsure. And there's something... Uh, I always want to generalize about Korean cinema and I feel like I'm not knowledgeable enough about it to do that. But there's there's something brave about having this particular kind of protagonist, someone with who's basically not that smart, not a very charismatic person. And I think that like a lot of uh, Hollywood movies or British films do not have the boldness to have a guy like that as your main character who's got to carry this really very long thriller. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, whereas in uh, Asian cinema, I feel like there's been more, more examples of things like that. Like not like anti-heroes or people who are sort of bastards, like compelling bastards, but just guys who are ordinary and boring and kind of a shit, bit feckless, just a bit feckless and shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like casting, you know, Tim from The Office, but in a thriller, but with a completely straight face. And uh, yeah, it's just a brilliant, brilliant piece of work. Really, really good. Speaking of which, speaking of brilliant pieces of work. That are really really good. <laughs> I'm gonna review cats. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush. Speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shit. Okay, start reviewing now. Uh, so cats. Everyone's talking about it. Not for the reasons anyone who made the film wanted. Uh, it's probably the i don't know the most like viciously disliked film of the year i would say critics have really sharpened their knives for it it's such an oddity that it has definitely sparked the creativity of the of the, of the critics you know poison pen or whatever sure, they, they wrote a poem and everything. he wrote a poem and everything and like i think a lot of them you know critics love to do that they like to come out of something and denounce it in in the most uh, excoriating way uh, possible so they can you know get the juices flowing like really a a gillet um, and there was uh, there was quite a lot of that. So, uh, and obviously, people were already fascinated to see it by the trailer when when you were you understood immediately from the concept that this film was going to be completely mad. And I think it's like it's fascinating in in the way that the creators of the film cannot like the distance between how the film was received and what the creators want you to feel about it is probably starker than in like almost any other film I can remember. <laughs> especially a film that cost $100 million to make, where these things have got to be, like, focus groups and... Sure. And all this kind of stuff, you know, like, tested, and they, they want it, they want to sell you, like, a sure thing. Um, and I think the the pretty much universally around the spectrum, like, people are taking this as a kind of very, very odd thing rather than as, like, a you know, exciting uh, Christmas Fantasia adventure or whatever, which is obviously what it intended to be. So anyway, getting ahead of myself a little bit, Cats is a uh, big musical film completely sung through... Um, or except for tiny little snippets of dialogue uh, directed by Tom Hooper who previously made um, A King's Speech and Les Miserables and it's obviously 
you know, encouraged after the success of Les Mis to, to get back in the blockbuster musical game uh, and uh, turned his attention to Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats, which is itself an adaptation of a book of uh, T.S. Eliot poems called The Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. Oh, like something, somewhere. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, the the poems are just like a set of poems about different cats. They've all got like different names and they're sort of uh, whimsical, like... Uh, like poems about cats it's kind of you know fun fair angela weber adapted this in the 80s into a stage show in which basically all of the songs about cats are kind of strung together each cat comes in and introduces themselves and it's all tied together around this very loose narrative about cats all going to a big ball and all of the songs are them competing to be chosen by the sort of head cats called old deuteronomy to be the jellical choice which means you get sent to a sort of a cat heaven, but it's not really clear if you if you died or you just kind of if it's good to go there or is it bad because you're dying? Like I don't God know, knows. I don't know. But anyway, they get into a big balloon, um, and uh, there's a sort of villain of the piece, uh, an evil cat called Macavity, who's played in this movie by Idris Elba, um, and he wants to be the jellical choice, and so he's kind of disrupting events. Uh, here is a little bit of the trailer, just so we can remind ourselves of that beautiful music detached from images of terrifying cat people. Tonight is a magical night where I choose the cat that deserves a new life. Going to the ball could get dangerous. <laughs> Come on! Let's dance! I judge a cat by its soul. I've got plenty of soul. Spotlight and a drum roll, please. Milk! It's party time. The most deserving cat will be reborn into another life. So they can be who they've always dreamed of being. It's got an all-star cast. Everyone's in this film. They're all cats. Ian McKellen, Judy Dench... E. McKellen, cat. cat. Judy <laughs> Dench, cat. cat. Taylor Swift, cat. Yeah, Jason Derulo's in there. He's a cat. Um, he's, he's one as well. Uh, <laughs> Rebel Wilson, she's cat. A cat. Uh, newcomer, Francesca Hayward, who's a um, the lead dancer at the Raw Ballet. She's a cat? Yes, she's also a cat. She's like uh, the sort of audience surrogate cat who um, is uh, thrown in at the beginning into this group of uh, uh, cats and uh, sort of being <laughs> introduced to them. <laughs> Rupert, what's the one I'm talking about? That's right, cats. That's right, cats. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is as as bizarre as as you might imagine. I struggle to hate it. I mean, it's so strange that that in itself is something to recommend the film. I don't think anyone has ever seen a film quite like this before. But it is uh, obviously conceptually misconceived, just because everyone is hideously freaked out by it. And I was I've been trying to like put my finger on it, like exactly what is going on here. But I think I think there are like there are several layers of of problem. So the the poems, which I briefly checked out before before recording, are written from the perspective, obviously, of a human who is describing cats like heroes of folklore or like, sure, you know, like mysterious folk creatures or something. And it taps into something that cat lovers feel about cats, which is this quality of them being mysterious. So cats are simultaneously like they're slightly enigmatic creatures. They're sometimes they're very dignified. Sometimes they do things that are absolutely ridiculous. They're very dependent on humans, and yet they seem somewhat aloof from them. 
they, they don't like adore you in the same kind of open-hearted way dogs do but they, they're sort of like their own creatures yeah they give like the impression of having more going on than than meets the eye rich interior lives big broad beautiful hinterlands in the <laughs> in the cat's brain and so it makes sense in a way that you know when everyone's gone to bed the cats sort of like come to life and they do all this crazy stuff and you can describe their strange antics as you know they're these sort of creatures of the night or whatever and when you read the stories it's clear what kinds of like, cat behavior are being sort of evoked by elliot and kind of like rightly discussed and you know if you own a cat and you notice it behaves in that way you'll be like you'll, you'll recognize it and it's funny so it's weird to transpose that into a situation where the cats themselves are describing themselves in those terms to other cats because you lose that aspect to it. Sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for example, like the Rum Tum Tugger cat who's got a poem about how he's never satisfied and when you offer him one thing, he wants the other thing and then you offer him the other thing, he wants the first thing. And that speaks to a particular kind of cat behavior where like, you know, they, they want to come in and you open the door to let them in and then, they, and then they don't come in, they actually want to stay outside. So that, you know, that makes sense. But like in the musical, he's like Prince and he does a kind of sexy Prince song. And in the film, he's played by Jason Derulo. So you're not thinking about cat behavior anymore. You're just thinking about this sexy Prince guy who's like dressed as a cat. And it's kind of a bit weird. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you go to see a musical about this and you just like, it's people in fun costumes prancing around singing this like these crazy songs. And it's, I don't know, it's very camp. It's like Eurovision or something. I haven't seen it myself, but I've seen clips. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're in big wild costumes and it's just a fun night out. It doesn't have to make sense. You know, you're just kind of enjoying it like like a fashion show or something. Yeah, like in, you know, live performance, the energy of the performers kind of drives the thing. Exactly. Like you're in- seeing real dancing and singing and, you know, and it's, yeah, it's very camp and silly and it's just like enjoyable for, for that reason alone. You don't necessarily need a story to it. You know, but I would say that it is still abstracted from like what is appealing or makes any sense about the poems. You know, it makes less sense than the poems do. Then in the movie, Tom Hooper has taken this approach of, of dialing up the realism. He wants it to be as real as possible. And this is just a very misguided thing to do. And I think there's something very telling. Like I, was, I was listening to him, like, because after I came out of this, I'm just fascinated by the psychology of Tom Hooper. I'm like, what, how, why? What are you doing? So I was listening to him talk about like making the film and his creative process and stuff. And someone was asking him about prosthetics. And he was like, yeah, we looked into prosthetics and we decided it wasn't worth doing because... You have to put all this like makeup onto the dancers every single day, and it's just too much work or something. I was like, I don't really buy that. Basically, <laughs> hours and hours and hours of work that VFX artists have to do. Well, ex- the fact exactly, he just wanted it to be easy on the set or whatever, and for people not to be worrying about prosthetics. But then he said, and anyway, you put the ears on and they don't move, so you're going to have to do the ears with CGI anyway. And I'm like, what, what? the fuck? Why? <laughs> Why do the ears have to move? <laughs> They're not real cats. <laughs> It's just like Tom, Tom. They're not real cats. Tom, they're not real. <laughs> and I think that that's what tweeted for me is that his whole approach to this is like it's an enchanting fantasy. You've got to feel like you're in that world. You're not watching Taylor Swift dressed as a cat. You're watching a fucking cat woman <laughs> or something. But obviously, there is no such thing as a cat person. So doing it real is just going to be a bewildering experience. It's like where the wild things are or something, you know. But the movie is not at all aware of how the audience will be receiving it. It just treats it as though, like, the sight of all these people with photorealistic fur and ears that move and tails and so on, like Na'vi from Avatar, but they're cats, is like, that's just a kind that, you know, just go along with it. It's just fun. Like, sure, why not? But it's actually fucking weird as shit. And I mean, and that's, it's two hours of that, basically. I would say good things about it. There's definitely some good dancing going on. 
but straight back to a bad thing uh it doesn't really you can't feel the physicality of it because they're all computer generated characters right every single body movement has been painted over lovingly by vfx artists adding all the sort of hair swishes or whatever and it just means that even though it's all based on real motion and you've captured 99 percent of it you don't feel the weight of a real dancer and it's often against like cgi backdrops and so on so the dancing is kind of like the edges are evened off in a way that's i think a real problem uh, but the singing is quite good, I would say. Francesca Hayward is like giving a pretty good performance as a newcomer. And in fact, everyone is really throwing themselves into the Cats thing. And it is embarrassing. It's like, it was embarrassing when George Galloway did it on Celebrity Big Brother. And it's kind of embarrassing when Ian McKellen's like l- lapping away at milk, <laughs> you know, the sort of, um, you know, thespian legend of screen and stage. Eight-year-old Sir Ian McKellen. Eight-year-old Sir Ian McKellen reduced to wearing a tatty coat and lapping away at milk like a cat and pretending to meow and stuff. I mean, it's all, it's completely mad, but uh, yeah, I mean, just I the novelty know. value is enough the, to make the, it worthwhile. There is there is definitely some some novelty value, yeah, to it. I don't know. There's the the the, the distraction of, of knowing how much money it's spent, how much effort has gone into this um, for something so so bizarre. I don't know. It's something. It certainly stays with you. I guess you come out thinking like, what the fuck was going. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Going on. Well, here's the thing, because since the history of movies, like studios are keen to sort of like, you know, quality control the products, you know, lots of money. And there's all, and you know, since the history of movies, there's always been like flops and misfires. But it feels like when there is a misfire now, it like it really fucks up. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, the Justice League movie is like particularly terrible in a way, like a sort of terrible blockbuster wasn't like ten years before that. I, I, yeah, like, it's I a think special, like, like I do, I do have like a broader kind of feeling about this, and I think it applies to the Rise of Skywalker as well. That like both those films, Cats and Rise of Skywalker, have this real whiff of desperation about them. I think there's something like panicked to the culture industry. I think, yeah. and they don't know how to please you. I mean, movies have never been like an easy sell. There's not, like, ever been a formula where you just, like, follow this and you immediately make your money back. So every, like, massive film, anything that costs $100 million is always going to be a risk to an extent, even, like, you know, the big Marvel movies are. But it does feel like there's something where there's a lack of a kind of cultural... Like, they don't know what they're plugging into. They don't know what people want or, like, how to connect with, with people. And there's this sense of desperate straining to give you, like, not just to entertain you, but to, like, give you a kind of soulful moment, you know? to like really lift your spirits and like blow you away and they don't know how to do that and tom hooper obviously thinks that like the most insanely real looking cat humans hybrids you've ever seen is going to do that for you but like if you were making like the biggest old style hollywood musical in like you know the 40s or the 50s or whatever like they just know what kind of product they're making and they know for what sort of audience you know it doesn't have that sense of like people behind the screens being like i fucking hope this works like they just (laughs) they're just producing something and they know what they're doing whereas like with cats like these it's like they don't know what they're doing now they don't know what a they don't know what a big entertaining film is anymore it's just like all over the place and rise of skywalker is a similar thing it just feels like a like desperate and scrambling and like how do we make people feel joy it's just like 
Calm down, buddy. You know? Calm down. Calm down absolutely, absolutely. You really want to tell cats to like just chill out. Just chill out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's an odd. Uh, it's an odd thing. Odd moment that we're living through. I honestly think that like, yeah, you you wouldn't have seen a film made like this in a previous era. You kind of come out of it being like, some there's something wrong in the machine, you know, like the 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 calculations are off. Like the, it's not working. It's about to collapse. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's a weird one. Anyway, five stars. <laughs> Christmas time in the film chat studio Danny's dressed like a reindeer Sam and Katie are covered in tinsel It's definitely Christmas in here mm. I'm parched, Sam. Absolutely parched. Ah, oh, that's much better. You know, now that, now that my terrible thirst has been quenched, I would really love to hear what movies you thought were the best that okay. came out this year. So as previously flagged, I feel like I've not done my bit this year and I didn't see enough movies. And as I was looking back through the films of the year, I really felt like I couldn't find 10 that I really liked enough okay. <laughs> to, to like make it. So uh, I guess I can probably stretch it to eight. <laughs> <laughs> eight is cats. Eight is cats. <laughs> No, no. What cat? One is cats. One is cats. One so is obviously cats. Now I'm gonna put in. I'm gonna put in Frozen two at number eight. Uh, just I don't know if it's really the best film of the year, but it's just surprisingly good. You know, had a very pleasantly surprising. I felt like his heart was in the right place, and I really enjoyed the uh, this angle on colonialism. It felt like a fresh kind of thing. It was like they really tried to do something with it, and I thought it was like quite smartly told. Don't quite agree with Hopper about the Olaf song with capping Frozen one because I don't like Olaf, the character of Olaf big problem for me otherwise this would be up at number two right behind cats but um yeah so anyway that's pretty good uh, i agree book smart enjoyed that um and number six i got knives out number five once upon a time in hollywood number four us number three eighth grade number two if bill street could talk and number one burning i'm also oh, i'd also put burning the same uh... same top two i think like probably the top five like you know oh no did i have eighth grade at three did you? Did I? Who am I? Who are you? Where am I? This prosecco's gone to my head. Quite possibly. Wow, that's unusual. Yeah, we had this. We've had this last same year. Top last three. year, my my top one wasn't even in your top ten. I think. No, and I was gonna say with uh, if Bill Street could talk in eighth grade, I would say those are probably the movies I cried the most in. Had like the biggest emotional response to. Yeah. Uh, they're all like gut punches, which is why they've maybe stuck around. Like. You just made me cry. I'll just make you the. I'll make you the best film. Listen, listen, filmmakers. I'm sure you're listening. If you make me cry, consider yourself on my list because eighth grade in particular. Oh my god, eighth was grade was just like eighth grade is like. I mean, it's almost like a horror film to me. In fact, yeah, like both, the, the both. level, the level of like emotion involvement. I felt watching it. How hard I found some sequences to watch. It's weird because they're my second and third favorite film of the year. But I was like quite glad when they were over. Just it was just a relief to not like be in this state of like. I cared about the characters so much that I was like, oh God, nothing can, bad can happen. And I know something, it's such a tense, yeah. insanely, I don't know, just, ugh. I think like, there's not good uh, medium for my reaction here, but I'm just, ugh, You're I'm shivering. Just, I'm shivering with the intention you're doing, you're doing of stuff with recalling your it. Yeah, um, I think like, as well as stuff which uh, feels contemporary, another currency that I definitely prize um, in movies is sincerity. And if Bill Street could talk and Eighth Grade are both incredibly sincere movies, 
if Bill Street could talk in particular is like as sentimental as a like you know the most sentimental thing ever <laughs> Spielberg movie <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely like it's um it 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 should be like very syrupy almost but um it's just so pure of heart and it's so like desperate to kind of share itself with you that it's completely like swept me away and uh, that was a very very powerful uh, film watching experience and eighth grade as well i think like the scene in eighth grade where she is sort of getting hit on uncomfortably by an older boy in the car oh boy probably the hardest like scene i've had to watch this year definitely or in perhaps in several years i just like it was it was absolutely killing me had i been watching it like not in the cinema but like on my laptop or something i probably would have had to stop multiple times walk away (laughs) to take two hours just to get through it and us as well which i haven't seen like that many people mention although like one of our one of our readers did but it's not quite as like instant classic kind of feeling as uh, get out was but i really also liked what it was doing and i found it very interesting to chew over yeah yeah and just um it did the same kind of thing original movie, of like, you know original yeah very original movie it was yeah it was crowd pleasing as well as you know having like having a critique that was not as obvious as get out but i still feel like had real substance to it and he was saying something it wasn't just doing that thing of like having symbols and things recur just as a, like a kind of jigsaw where you can piece together afterwards and be like oh that was clever but it had a real kind of angle and there was like a real social critique to it um and uh yeah i thought that was very good Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. It's, you know, our tradition every two years we review a star wars movie and it is now bedtime again <laughs> so star wars episode nine rise of skywalker uh we're gonna shall we say we're, we'll spoil the opening crawl the premise the setup so if you want to remain completely oblivious why even listen to this podcast man but so basically uh it follows on for the events of the previous two movies and from the opening call we discover that Palpatine, Emperor Palpatine, despite definitely being killed in Return of the Jedi, he's back. The dead speak. People are hearing his sinister, cackling voice across the galaxy. And Kylo Ren uh, seeks out his location. He's hiding away on this planet, much like Luke Skywalker. Everyone's was hiding away on planets these days in, in uh, Star Wars. And he's like, you got to go. I've got a great army to like ensure the First Order defeat the bloody rebel scum. Uh, but you got to go kill Ray. Meanwhile, Ray and her, you know, her buddies, Finn and Poe, uh, are trying to find out where the Emperor's planet is so they can, you know, kill him and foil their dastardly plan. And that involves a lot of like MacGuffins and following clues and a sort of like Indiana Jones style adventure rather than a Star Wars style adventure. Maybe like it's kind of more that model than Star Wars. Here is a clip of Adam Driver. Sorry, here's a clip of Kylo Ren at the start of the film turning up on the planet and hearing uh, Ian McDermott giving his best evil villain panto performance as Palpatine. At last. My boy. I have been every voice 
have ever heard. Inside your head. <laughs> I'm a huge Ema Dermid fan. I think, yeah. He's so me, he's so good. I mean, as we've hinted at, we're quite down on this movie, but I say one of the highlights is just he is brilliant. And he's probably one of the best things about the prequels. Absolutely. If not the best thing about the prequel. And even though his role here is quite appallingly badly written, he is just giving so much value for money. He, he just does like, he does it so well. It's so it's so like cartoonish and yet he's absolutely killing it. Like yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard someone speak such nonsense with such conviction. It's brilliant. Yeah, and even though I'm sort of against the whole idea of him coming back, uh, I don't resent him or his performance at all. I think Absolutely he's brilliant. There were things I liked about it, which are a bit few and far between, but I think there is just a certain amount of entertainment value in the Star Wars thing. I like the puppets. I like the world of Star Wars. In the same way, I sort of they're not particularly good films, but I enjoy The Hobbit just because I like being in that world. I like the sound effects of the X-Wings. I like the spaceships. It kind of plugs into a sort of, you know, gurglish child part of my brain. Yeah, I think that that, that is like, something that you have to, that you can credit J.J. for and like J.J. Uh, Abrams. I call him J.J. Yeah. J. Squared in uh, in what he did with The Force Awakens, which obviously set a template as well for the, the spin-off films as well as the other films in the series is that he updated the original Star Wars, you know, with modern effects and so on. Um, in a way that looks utterly spectacular as well as being faithful in the, in the visual sense to the original movies. And I think he's done that very successfully and it works again in this movie. Yeah, I would say I have massive problems with the the writing and like sort of execution of the story, but all the cross people, all the production design, Doing a all, great that, job. all that stuff is great. Uh, I would say it's basically the movie I expected it to be, maybe a bit worse than I thought it would be. The trailers suggested a basic kind of like U-turn from the last Jedi's attempts to like push the story forward and not rely, you know, kill the past, let it die. And J.J. was like, no, 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 no. The past is not dead. The past is very much informing every decision I make in this film. And it's just a very kind of ropely thrown together kind of greatest hits, but kind of three movies in the sort of nostalgia endorphin rush from Force Awakens has lessened. And the, it just feels like, an excuse for itself all the characters motivations are just to provide moments which might uh, delight a certain type of fan in the moment but don't really track with the other movies doesn't really have a story i don't know what the films are about if anything it's just stuff and it's i think like if you if it's about anything it is the exact opposite of uh <laughs> of the last jedi in that it's about rather than casting off the past it's about embracing the past and putting yourself in with the past belonging to not just to yourself but to the generations that came before you and you know representing them and keep keeping them with you i mean one of the issues that like i had with the film is that it feels as though he has been brought in to repair something which was sort of ruined as though the last jedi through this um successful budding third trilogy dramatically off its axis and you had to get a safe pair of hands in to kind of steady the ship and like you know stick the landing and uh so from very early on in the film it's like you know don't really think too much about the last movie in fact you could probably almost skip it entirely i would say except for maybe like a couple of character deaths that kind of thing yeah and new characters have been introduced but to, for a large to a large extent you can ignore the events of the previous film and uh 
uh, and and they just set up some new MacGuffins, and they then they send off a new adventure, and it's like, don't do not sweat the Last Jedi. We know you hated it, but it's all going to be okay. We're going to ignore uh, what happened, and it feels like this patchwork thing. It's like creaking at the seams. A lot of the stuff is doesn't really make too much sense if you think about it too much. And I remember it was a thing with The Force Awakens as well, that it was like they changed it a lot in the edit. They like they had all these deleted scenes. They had these ideas that they threw out. They had, you know, it was sort of thrown together a bit in, in like a bit of a hurry yeah, and not really thought through. And there was loads of things that didn't quite make sense. And then The Last Jedi feels like a film which was, was thought through, whether you like it or not. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. It seems like a, they, Ryan Johnson had a particular idea of what, what he wanted to do with the story and delivered it. And then again, we're back to this like, uh-oh, uh, got to do good, like no time to think we just got to throw this thing together got to like knock it out um, and that was annoying because I didn't want to see him repair something that wasn't broken and the other problem that I had with it is that it's going for this grand finale where it is they, they keep talking in the marketing about how they're not just finishing off this trilogy but they're finishing off all nine films so it's the culmination of the entire Star Wars saga in a single film and so it, it's bringing the stuff back they're all back including people who have died <laughs> in real life <laughs> yeah, yeah they're back like so so everything is is coming is coming back for this movie and the problem is that they already blew that shot they did that already in the yeah. force awakens yeah, absolutely. so a lot of what people found exciting about the force awakens was seeing mark hamill carrie fisher and harrison fords back in their old costumes going around the galaxy and so on and uh and you know the stormtroopers are back like the millennium falcon is back and it's like giving you that hit of nostalgia that like and it, and it, it pulled that off very successfully for a lot of people and it was really exciting but you can't then do it again and uh the force awakens had this issue of both referring back to the original trilogy which was very much part of the history that informed the direct plot of the of the film and also on another level recreating the story and like the plot beats of a new hope yeah so it's kind of not just evoking the previous films but also directly including the characters from them in it in a way that just felt a bit weird you know like yeah, you've got full full breaking a bit for like you've got a new droid which is the new r2d2 but you've also got r2d2 literally there and it's like we, we don't need both i mean like <laughs> just yeah, do yeah. one the other and that kind of odd quality of being two different kinds of replica at once or like a sequel and a remake at the same time comes to a, an, a head or like, I don't know, folds in on itself again and produces yet more oddity in this movie in which, again, the stuff is repeated. Like you've got another new droid and the droid that was R2-D2 from 4 and still R2-D2 as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just this strange, it's adopting this odd dream logic where we're just trapped. It's like a hall of mirrors and they keep producing new reflections and like it's kind of referring back to The Force Awakens and like tying off ends from that and like, you know, making you remember things and like, oh, remember when I watched that movie? Wasn't that beautiful, you know, four years ago? And then also evoking things from the original trilogy and like, and it's like, I can't be nostalgic about that many things at one time. <laughs> and it's just, it just feels like this bizarre shade of a shade of a shade. Yeah. It's just very, very uncanny, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just also, I mean, I saw like quite a snarky, uh, like Photoshop thing on Twitter where it's like written and directed by Reddit, but it does feel a bit like, like we were saying, cats, this kind of panic need to please everyone. It ends up pleasing nobody because it's trying to appease people who just can't be appeased and i think the thing i found most annoying about it was that rose tycho who was like a main character ryan johnson introduced is completely sidelined and she was you know 
the first Asian character who wasn't a Japanese businessman, Rish's caricature in Star Wars, and she was bullied off Twitter. And the fact that they've like completely sidelined her, but at the same time introduced lots of other different characters. It's not like there was no room for her in the plot because the plot is so expansive and uh, meandering. And well, it, was quite, it seemed quite clearly setting up a kind of B romance, didn't it? Yeah, it just didn't execute for some reason. And it's like you know, this is this is fucking centrism, man. Like you know, this is what's <laughs> happening to the Labour Party. Your your cinema score might get higher, but minorities get thrown under the bus. You lost your heart. Exactly. And uh, yeah, another thing I found very annoying about it was, which I think is maybe just like a Disney thing, which is just they were very proud of having this on-screen LGBT kiss. There's like a real blink a, and you miss yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, it's it was so sort of terrified of the um, Finn and Poe fan fiction around them being a couple that it goes to great lengths to like explicitly say that these guys fuck women yeah even yeah. palpatine fucks <laughs> like all the dudes of virile red meat eating fucking dudes and even like oscar isaacs came out and said like it'd be kind of cool if they were a couple i was like oscar isaacs you're a much cooler guy than the Disney that would be like too new though it, it would be too new it can't be that new um it wouldn't be star warsy yeah it's just i don't know i sort of i think i checked out quite early on i would say the cast are all super charismatic and giving it their all and I think Daisy Ridley, who has the hardest job out of the cast because she's the sort of the Luke character is quite hard to do. The sort of like quite dull hero. She hasn't had that many angles to her. Yeah. I would say, as opposed to like Kylo Ren, who's kind of a chewy apart. She is like sort of owns this character more than she has done in the previous two. And uh, Oscar Isaacs and John Boyega have like charisma to spare. Adam Driver is kind of lauded as one of the greatest actors of his generation and rightly so because he's so sort of yeah. interesting and charismatic and as we said ian mcdermott is chewing it up uh but yeah the whole thing felt just quite lifeless and just going through the motions and i don't know man it just yeah. sucks i gotta say it was it was i think it also it also settled into this rhythm of it, which is extremely frantic and um that was also very reminiscent of the force awakens and i think that's quite unfortunate as well because it's like watching Spielberg at 1.5 speed. Like, all of that, it's like he's copied, you know, elements of Spielberg's craft, J.J. Abrams. The camera's always moving, and it's always things are coming into screen, you know? Yeah. It's always like you're looking at one thing, and then another thing appears, and that's the new yeah, focus. The Spielberg wanna. Yeah. That's always happening, and it gives it a certain propulsive quality. But it, none of the um, the individual elements or moments have any time to breathe or land, or they don't have any meaning. It's very much by often they're reversed by another movie. Like. It's real. It's real paint by numbers stuff, and it's just dazzling you with colors and moments rather than taking your time to build anything or deliver anything, and uh, it ends just a little unsatisfying. It's quite funny because I feel like Ryan Johnson's been completely vindicated by this film yeah, in a way absolutely. that's very like uh, fun to watch. And like every quote he makes is like, "This seems like a smart professional filmmaker who knows what he's doing." And every time like J.J. Abrams defends like some character thing, is like, "You're a it's an idiot. idiot. You're an idiot." <laughs> I think Tom Hooper and J.J. Abrams are both people who tricked the world and they were good filmmakers. And I blame the entire critical community for like, ah, oh, King's. They gave him a fucking Oscar for King's Speech. Les Mis was very bad. Danish Girl was very bad. This guy's clearly. A fucking snake oil salesman. J.J. <laughs> Abrams yeah. like, Super 8 is a terrible film. Star Trek Into Darkness is also terrible. Force Awakens and Star Trek are just a remake of The New Hope. The guy doesn't have anything to say. They're both, like, not at all... They're not, like, some sort of next Spielberg, uh, New Wave 20... No. Class of 2010. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think they are similar in a way in that they're both they, they they both are straining for greatness, but they don't actually have anything to say artistically. They've got the goods. They don't have the goods. Yeah. So Just they're both they're both bad. JJ Holmes and Tom Hooper officially bad. The world is bad. These directors are bad. These films are bad. It's just all bad. My film chat goes on. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end. Um, we don't really have time for Marriage Story. But, you know, it wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> That's my view of that. Yeah, it wasn't very good. Do you want, do you want to give like a like a 20 second review of Mario's story I'll give my 20 seconds sure I just think Noah Baumbach is more interested in himself than any other person in the world and that reflects in a very one-sided and bitter screenplay about Adam Driver who's literally is a genius he gets a genius grant and is forced to get into a tumultuous divorce by you know the first move is made by Scott Johansson who's uh, very boring compared to him and gets all the boring scenes where he gets the sort of dramatically interesting scenes which have stuff going on where she just gets to like monologue about how controlling he was and I feel like he he thinks no amount thinks that it's like a brilliantly it's a it's like kind of almost like virtue signaling how sort of uh is about himself but he isn't really he's and, not and it's the film was bookended by uh, people reading out about how great he is which I think tells you everything can't get out of his can't get out of the way of his own ego Baumbach is stacking the deck, definitely, in his own favor in this autobiographical tale of his own marriage. A little self-indulgent, uh, kind of sick of that whole milieu, um, and he's ripped it off Woody Allen anyway, so it's weirdly like him talking about his own life in a way that's self-indulgent, but for some reason they all dress like Woody Allen characters. Is that how Noah Baumbach dresses in his like, 30s? I don't know. Um, and uh, yeah, it just grated on me a little bit. One or two scenes I thought were good. The rest I thought was like a little, like, yeah, too self-indulgent and annoying. And I didn't care about the characters. Yeah, great performances. Like, not as funny as a Woody Allen movie and not as bitter as like an Alex Ross Perry movie. I feel like there are just... His thing is, you know, there's a, there's a glut of movies like this. And he's just not a good example of it. I agree. I got a, I got a, a Christmas present for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I got you nothing. Oh shit, dude. Oh man. Okay, this is really embarrassing though, because I got you jack shit. Well, don't be embarrassed. I mean, you know, we didn't agree to do this. I just thought about it earlier today. Think you're gonna enjoy what? this? <laughs> Richard Osman's House of Games. <laughs> Hundred and one new and classic games from the hit BBC series. With a brilliant picture of Osman like, giving him <laughs> his little quizzical look. I know you love, Ri- the, I know you love Richard Osman. One of the weirdest looking guys on TV, <laughs> I would say. Well, we, we've had we have fun in the past with Richard Osman's World Cup of Things, or whatever the fuck it was called. Oh, like a little cool... Uh, it's like a little icon. <laughs> oh, buddy. But we, don't, we don't have to enter Richard Osman's house of games right now, but... Uh, you what's, know. what's that successful Dungeons & Dragons podcast? Um... Uh, the Adventure Zone? The Adventure Zone. I think we should do one, just House of Games. The House of just, Games. Just you and me playing. <laughs> We're game. in the House of Games. We're in the House of Games. Yeah, every uh, every week we play a new game. Oh, mate. I'm excited. This is a gift as much for you as it is for me. Well, that's what I was thinking. Selfish, really. Self- selfish of you. I take back all my gushing uh, you know, apologies. I think this clearly was a gift to yourself. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for sticking with us for this year. 
it's been I say that as if like we were like <laughs> some sort of uh, terminal disease or something. <laughs> we know that it's we've been through some rough patches. It's rough we patches. know that the quality has dipped. Uh Chinese you know, Little Women's Coming Out, Uncut Gems, Parasite, you know, there's a lot of good movies. I that saw, sort of I awards s- glut. I saw someone tweeting that like there was a problem with little women that men weren't going to see it because there was too many women in it or something. Yeah. So we've got to do our bit for men by seeing this movie. Exactly. We've got to sh- we've got to show them what men do. We're gonna we're gonna go to woman. see it, we're gonna take a selfie, we're gonna hashtag not all men <laughs> holding our little women ticket stubs. Yeah. <laughs> big men see cool. little women. Yeah. <laughs> big big boys see little women. <laughs> It's going to be uh, great. Yeah, and also, can we sort of gently trail our quiz? Absolutely. On February the 7th at the BFI, we're moving up in the world. We're going up. We're doing a quiz. It's going to be Oscar-themed. We haven't written it yet because the nominations have been announced. But it's going to be can... themed after the little boy from Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, Oscar. Oscar. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. Tickets are... We'll let you know when tickets go on sale. Uh, but it's in us. It's in the bloody BFI. Watch out! We're going to be in the BFI. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be does, in there. Does Commode and Mayo have a fucking quiz at the BFI? Big, I don't think so. Big fucking idiots. Big fucking <laughs> idiots. Not at the BFI. Uh, yeah. So look forward to that. H- have a wonderful Christmas, everybody, and a very happy New Year. And we'll see you for a, a hopefully much better 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Stay strong. Stay strong. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. I've just seen Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker and nothing prepares you for this I cheered I shouted I fist pumped the air I cried I stood and cheered it's absolutely everything that you hoped it was going to be I'm I'm so proud to be in it and I can't wait for you to see it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.